Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show as we start a new week here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you, Steve, always in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre owned inventory, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. And every Monday show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, or go to purdyinsurance.com. The true professionals, home, auto, life, business, and of course during the summertime, RV, boat, you name it, they have everything ready for you to protect what matters most. That's all at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, or go to purdyinsurance.com. Now, Steve is off all this week. He is on vacation, a much and well-deserved vacation. So all this week here on the Steve Jones Show, we're going to be doing best of episodes, and we'll have a theme for each day. So today for Monday, we're going to be recapping and reliving March Madness. So today we've got Tim Brando from Fox Sports, who joined us on Coach K a couple of weeks ago when when he announced his retirement. Then during the 4 o'clock hour... It's all about March Madness. Adam Zucker from CBS Sports joined us. That'll replay at 4.06 today. Then Brad Nessler from CBS will join us at 4.35. We'll hear a replay of that. But first, we're going to start things off with NFL Network's Kim Jones, who joined the Steve Jones Show earlier this year after an exciting pro day at Penn State. Of course, Jason Oway lit things up with his performances. So did Micah Parkins and Pat Firemuth, of course. All of them picked, of course, in the first couple of rounds of the draft. So this was Kim Jones joining us back in March after Penn State's Pro Day with Steve. Thanks for asking, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, sorry I missed you yesterday at Haluba. Uh, yeah. But, of course, things, things are a little tighter right now. Yep, yep. Yeah. I think uh, what Mike Tomlin, I think, said it best at one point, uh, nothing unexpected, but it's a freak show. So as you watch the play out between, <laughs> I, did, I didn't know he said between, that. That's funny. Uh, he, he did say that. Uh, when you watch Micah Parsons and Jason Owe, what were some of the elements that were sticking out to you and the people you were with yesterday? Well, you, as I said on NFL Network yesterday, the the headline is Micah Parsons. He's the headliner. He's the best player. But the day belonged to Jason Oway. And that's because Jason Oway is an absolute freak athlete. Um, you know, and, and we knew that before Mike Tomlin said it, but it absolutely was cemented yesterday. I had multiple, and by multiple, I mean upwards of 10 or 12 of the talent evaluators on hand say almost the same thing to me about Oway. And that was only a handful of people on the planet can do what he can do, meaning at his size and at that skill level, of course. So Owe was an unbelievable 
workout warrior yesterday, and I don't and I don't believe he's just that. By the way, I don't believe he's just that, and I think he will very much appeal to the guy who says, um, "Let me, you know, let me see what a player has, and we can coach." the rest out of him uh, and he'll be coached uh, in the NFL and he'll have to go to a teaching organization I hope he goes to a really good defensive line coach and defensive coordinator who has some imagination perhaps some patience and understands the kind of athlete uh, and the commitment that he will make in terms of being a great NFL player Micah's a different story Micah yesterday the most important thing Micah did yesterday was run a 4 I don't, yes. you know, I know it wasn't in Indianapolis. None of them are in Indianapolis this year. Um, and I understand that, that at home turfs, the numbers can be a little bit different, turf to turf, you know, as, as we'd move around maybe the college game and, and the uh, facilities in the college game. That being said, Micah Parsons at his size, with his range, with his ability to do a lot of different things for an NFL team, whether they run a 3-4 or a 4-3 defense, at Four four, he did everything he needed to do. And Steve, I said this yesterday on the network. At one point, Micah was slipping a little bit. His it seemed it, to those of us watching his his cleats weren't weren't doing him any favors at uh, during the three cone and and some other drills. And I was standing next to a very high profile person who was there in person yesterday. And the person looked at me and said, "I want to walk onto the field right now and tell Micah stop doing the stop doing the cones." do the drills, and you ran a 4-4, that's all we need to see from you. So uh, I think Micah enhanced what they already thought, and I thought Jason Oway opened some eyes. Pat Fryermuth is someone that, that the NFL loves. Uh, the best news from him was that he will be ready in short order in terms of from the shoulder surgery. Uh, he told me it will not affect the NFL period, meaning the, the day he's drafted, he expects that shoulder to already be fine. Um, so I, I thought it was just a, a really good day all around for the Penn State guys. In fact, uh, I think Pat's shoulders, I think, another one to two weeks out, and he's on Yeah, hard. that's essentially what he said. I always yeah. add time on, though, Steve, because I think that, you know, oh. guys want to be back. Pat, Pat obviously, is the guy who doesn't want to sit out. But I always add a few weeks on, but he's still going to be okay with that as the right. measurement. Yeah. Right, and and the draft's a month away, so that's four right. weeks out. So, right. I mean, exactly. that's, that's plenty that's of time saying. for him. Yep. Oh, and by uh, the way, Shaka Tony helped himself, and he yeah, kind of he, he he did my interview. They all did interviews with me, which I was grateful for. Micah's was unbelievable. Um, if you didn't see it, it's on Kim Jones Sports on my Twitter. Uh, Micah, in particular, amazing because Micah is the biggest personality you'll see, maybe since Lavar. I don't know. I don't know that for sure. And you're closer to it than I am, Steve. But I talked to Lavar the, the day before about um, Micah. Um, they're close. Uh, Lavar does see some similarities. Lavar also said to me, you know, he's likely going to outdo my pro career, and, and we all know that didn't turn out as LeVar wanted it to, but he was certainly a legend at Penn State, so that was high praise from LeVar. But uh, Shaka Tony gets lost in the shuffle. He kind of smiled and said, I'm, with, I'm, I'm surrounded by freaks. You know, I do the best I can, but <laughs> several people told me Shaka helped himself, especially coming off a senior bowl where, where he also opened some eyes. So good for Shaka Tony, because he, he, could, he could very well land with the right NFL team and have a nice career. Yeah, he ran four five one yesterday. Yep. He had lo- yep. he had lost he had lost some weight because of COVID, uh, and he's bounced back nicely. Uh, I'll go to Parsons. The four three nine he ran 
Now, this is where Owe and Parsons push each other, as you know, Kim. Yep. They're very they're very close. They're very competitive yep, with each agents, other. Same agents. They train together. Yep, whole thing. Yep. Yep. 4.39 was important because he ran 4.41 the last time number that I knew about. He wanted badly to crack the 4-4 number just for yep. personal reasons. And by mm-hmm. the way, on the cone drill, I agree with whomever said that to you. I, I think when you when you didn't play the past season, he probably wanted to show everybody because he didn't play. But I agree with whomever. You did your deal. You ran your 4-3-9. You're in good yeah. shape. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, a 4-4 for a guy his size, 246 pounds, you already know he's a fluid athlete because we got to see that. I said to Daniel Jeremiah, who's um, one of my favorite colleagues at NFL Network, we were talking about Micah earlier on this offseason, and I said, watch the Cotton Bowl from 2019. You will think he's the best prospect in this draft. I probably should have said best prospect besides quarterbacks because the NFL is obsessed with them uh, for obvious reasons. But... Um, Daniel kind of laughed, and, and uh, you know, I think he's probably too busy to sit down and watch a bowl game at the moment, but I would stand by that. If you watch that Cotton Bowl and you watch what Micah did in that game, uh, you would truly believe as a defensive coordinator that you are almost unlimited in the ways you can use him. And for some teams, smart teams and well-run teams, that should be and will be very attractive. Well, let's. you mentioned LeVar. Yep. LeVar moved closer to the line of scrimmage. At one point at Penn State, as you you and I know, he actually was a safety for a, a short period of time and moved closer. Micah has had to move back into space compared to where he was in high school. Uh, this is where player development comes in, and a guy has to be smart enough to work on player development. Evidently, he has because he's become that kind of player you talked about in the Cotton Bowl by moving away from the line of scrimmage, which is not a normal progression. Right. I mean, he was a defensive end um, in high school, so he was used to that kind of uh, flow, if you will, and and running back, of course, which he gave a hilarious answer because James told me that he could have been a running back at Penn State and had the same level of success and readiness for the NFL, and, you know, Micah said that hurt him because, you know, he always wanted to play running back, as we know, but, um, and, you know, unfortunately with COVID, I think that was an opportunity missed, but that's a story for another day. As far as LeVar goes, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, as a then Redskin, because that was the team name when he played for them, LeVar I was asked, um, you know, to cover Santana Moss, or, you know, yeah. and I believe that might have been in the Miami-Penn State game. Uh, actually, he was teammates with Santana, I think. So I think that that was in the Miami-Penn State game. He yeah. had to cover Santana Moss at times. I mean, you know, with both, I mean, LeVar to me is a little more explosive, which is what I said to LeVar. And, it's true. And he, but I, but I told Lavar, I think that's the only place where he gets Micah. Now he doesn't love that, um, and but he did say that deceptively, Micah is, ex, is is good at everything. He has the speed, he has the range, he is explosive, um, and he gave him some other compliments as well along those same adjective lines. So, you know, I do think it's interesting only because. Um, you know, having covered LeVar and having met Micah now, I, I just find it interesting. They're also slightly different body types. I think LeVar's a little bit longer. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do find it interesting. It's probably not all that relevant except to us Penn Staters, but it's kind of fun to look at, you know, that, you know, linebacker U is still turning them out without trouble. 
And then there's Owa. And by the way, one quick note on, on Micah. I did mention this yesterday. I'm not going to get into the name of the walk-on player, but we were standing on the sideline one day, and Micah just comes by and he goes, "Hey, Mr. Jones, how are you?" You know, and he was on. He was doing kickoff, right? Right. He goes. He comes walking by, and the the player that was injured looked over at me and he said, "You know what? I didn't know what he was going to be like when he got here because you know, he came in with a lot of hype, fanfare." He says he's one of the greatest guys I've ever been around. So it's you know it it tells you that if you have a preconceived notion about somebody, it can be dispelled rather quickly. Uh, right, right. OA six five two fifty seven. Yep. Uh, this is only his fifth year of organized football. Yes. Uh, now I realize the NFL wants as many ready-made guys as possible. So I want to get back to your point about the ability to coach this guy up. Uh, when you hear that it's only his fifth year and you see what he has accomplished, what do you think? Well, you know, I would I would still defer to the guys I talked to yesterday because what they would say is he has what you can't teach. Their job is to teach. I mean, even yep. at the NFL level, um, their job is still to teach and develop. And there are a lot of coaches who subscribe to the idea, you know, don't tell me what a player can't do, tell me what he can do. So if you apply that to Jason Owe, he can do an awful lot of things that are innate, he's blessed with, that you cannot find. You can't just find his skills. He also has 34-and-a-half-inch arms, by the way, which, as silly as this is going to sound, might have been the measurement yesterday that most wowed people. That's, that's offensive tackle arm yeah. length. And you can, you can imagine, as he engages with a tackle or whatever he needs to do, but as he is in combat, essentially, on a football field, how much that arm length can benefit him. And I asked him about, about the measurements as well. He, he, he was thrilled with the broad jump at 11-2 because he had never reached 11 feet before, so he easily had you know, a personal best there. And, and for me, second behind the arm length was the 39-and-a-half-inch vertical, which if a cornerback does that, you're wild. You know, and this is a 257-pound, you know, defensive end. I mean, he's just amazing, and I do think, listen, there would be a few organizations I wouldn't want him to go to, but there are a lot of good coaches in this league, and there are a lot of good defensive line and defensive coordinators, uh, defensive line coaches and defensive coordinators. And, again, they will find ways to use a player like that to, to help him use his great skill level, his great ability, and actually get to the quarterback and at the NFL level he will have players around him that will also help him in that regard and his best days are ahead of him oh no doubt that's there's the, that, that there's the, no doubt about right. always a pleasure it was great to just know that you were back in town I'm sure you enjoyed the opportunity to be back yes. as well but uh, it, thanks so much for the time as always thanks Steve very much have a great day and that was Kim Jones joining us from Penn State's Pro Day back in March, and it's always great to have her with us here on the show. And actually, we will hear from her again in a replay interview a little bit later on this week on Friday. So we'll look forward to that. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, or go to purdyinsurance.com. Home, auto, life, business, RV, boat for the summer, all to protect what matters most at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, 
or purdyinsurance.com, the true professionals. And Steve, always in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Still to come, we'll replay Tim Brando from Fox Sports in the next half hour. Then it's all about March Madness in the 4 o'clock hour today. Replays of Adam Zucker from CBS along with CBS Sports' Brad Nessler at 4.35 as we continue on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal, home, and auto, or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Back here on the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. It is a best of week as Steve enjoys a week of vacation. We're now going to replay Tim Brando from Fox Sports, who joined Steve a little bit earlier this month, reacting to the announcement of Coach K's retirement, and he had a lot to say about that, plenty of that, in fact. Very good interview with Steve, so we'll play that now. Here is Steve talking with Tim Brando of Fox Sports. All right, our next guest is every time we get together, the name Sam Licklider (laughs) is mentioned between the two of us. It's great to have with us one of the absolute best in this business, Tim Brando. Tim, welcome back, my friend. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you, Steve. Uh, heck of a time of year, is it not? And uh, I gather that uh, the long summer, we'll see probably a few more days uh, like this with uh, multiple announcements of guys leaving and uh, career coaches uh, saying, I'm, I'm out of here, uh, albeit I want to take my my uh, victory tour, uh, you know, another lap like Coach K did. It's, it's, it's just that time of year, so... It's good to be back with you. It's great to be with back with you. You know, I, I think you actually set the tone for the next question pretty well. I'm not surprised you did, uh, but <laughs> but that is, I'm sensing that because Mike hasn't talked yet. But Brad Stevens 
you know, made the move to the Celtics front office today, that the pandemic really kind of did a number on him, especially being in the bubble. I don't know about you, Tim, but everybody I talked to, and you talked to more people than I did, I I felt that it, it really did a number on a lot of coaches this year trying to somehow manage their way through this. What did you sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole season for them was like a root canal. It It wasn't, <laughs> I mean, it was an endurance test for us, too. And I was one of the fortunate ones that didn't have to do uh, games from his basement or his attic or, you know, from some sterile studio miles and miles away from the game. Many of my colleagues did. Uh, but even for those of us that, that did travel, uh, and I did not have as uh, thick uh, a schedule because of that. You know, networks made decisions to try to save some money. Everyone was hemorrhaging uh, money this past year. So... Uh, if you were going to be calling games on the road, you probably weren't going to do as many. Uh, and so that was the case with me. I probably did about half my normal schedule, but at least I was there. And in the conversations that we had with the coaches, we always from distance now, we did, we, you know, I was never on the floor with one of them. I think I walked into uh, the Rock in, at Seton Hall at the same time the Villanova team was was coming in. And so we went through security about the same time and I was able to see uh, Jay Wright, you know, face-to-face from six feet, but face-to-face. We were Zooming all the time, and, and it was a pain in the butt for everybody, you know. And uh, I think that um, coaches that were dealing with their players and the anxiety that comes from waking up every morning, getting swapped at 730, you know, in some leagues they were doing it every day, you know. some And in other leagues they were doing it every third day. It was just a pain, and uh, you know that that was true in basketball. In football, uh, you know, you had position coaches that didn't, and position players that didn't see their teammates until game day. You know, they were that yeah. distant from one another. So, imagine trying to coach your team when your team is never really together until they come out, you know, for a Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, it definitely played a role in in I think all of the decisions that we've seen made to this point. Uh, some more than others, probably, um, because of maybe some past issues that they've they've had. Like I, I figured this announcement was going to come from Mike very soon right. after both decisions were made. Number one by Kevin White as athletic director of Duke to step down when he did last year, and right. then when Roy Williams made his decision, I'm like, Mike cannot be far behind. Well, what a career he's had, obviously. You know, look, we know about the five national titles and the three gold medals, and he's also an assistant on the Dream Team as well in 92. Mm-hmm. But, look, this is something where you and I can talk about this because I think you and I have been very fortunate that in uh, at our age we've seen so much that we can lend some perspective to. If Mike Krzyzewski yeah. had gone through his first three years at Duke in the 20-teens, and not when he did in the late 70s and early 80s. Would he have survived? No, not even close. And that story about athletic director Tom Butters and and Mike is, uh, you know, it's just incredible. There was one, I think, other example of that, and it it actually happened with one of Mike's closest friends, one of his closest friends, P.J. Carlissimo. Uh, he was in a situation at Seton Hall where they were about to make the move on him, and to the credit of uh, a lot of people, the late Larry Keating being one of them, 
who passed away, and Larry, of course, went on to Kansas afterwards. Um, I think I think he may have been in a similar situation, and of course, he he took them to the greatest tight seat Nalls ever had, getting to the finals. And were it not for the John Clockerty call on the block charge uh, to send Ramil Robinson to the free throw line, might have won a national title. But uh, but Mike, that story was just. I mean, Shashevsky thought he was done. Butters is like, uh, I've got to do it. Uh, I've, I'm going to give you this contract extension. And Shashevsky was in tears. He thought, you know, you don't have to do this. They were ready to run him out on a rail. Now, people forget, I mean, yes, you think Duke now, and you think Mike Krzyzewski, period. Krzyzewskiville, Coach K, Coach K Court, all that. Uh, but, um, you know, they had gone to the Final Four and to the National Championship game and lost with, uh, with, with a team that was outstanding. Mike Jeminski, my colleague, was on that team with yep. Jimmy Spadarkle, and, uh, and then lost their coach, lost her to, uh, to South Carolina. You know, because yeah. Duke wasn't uh, at that particular point willing to pay the freight. Uh, a job in the in the Metro Conference at that time at South Carolina was <laughs> worth more than than the Duke job was. So it's they had had great success. Duke was a proud program um, for a period a long period of time, fifties, sixties, and 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 then again that late run in, at nineteen seventy eight, and they they go into the tank. And uh, and he had to resurrect them, but uh, they knew they were in trouble when Mike uh, when Mike took over. They his first year was the best of his first three, and the second two were awful. And uh, yeah, I mean he would not have lasted in today's environment. No question yeah. about it, yeah. he would have been gone. Yeah, it was at that Jack Givens had the forty one for Kentucky yeah. when they beat. Point yeah, game, yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, so now we get now. You have to have a class that then establishes not just winning but your culture. Uh, Jay Billis, Mark Allery, Johnny Dawkins—they got Gene Banks out of Philly. Uh, what do you think they meant to to then allowing Mike to not only just win, which was obviously critical, but then to to then get the, that word culture in place that he wanted to have. Well, you know, Kenny Denard played uh, on Mike's team, and uh, uh, Javinsky did not, um, but Denard did, Banks did, uh, Spinarkle and G-Man were both gone. But uh, the the willingness to bring them into the fold and to, to make them feel as though he needed them, even those that didn't play for him, all right, including Jaminski, uh, was important to Mike because he knew he needed as many friends as he could have after the first three seasons. And he always asked them back. It was that, you know, that culture. And Mike was adamant about the fact that he wanted staff members, by and large, to be guys that were former players, guys that played for him, stayed within the culture. You know, he only had Pete Gaudette and Mike Bray Right, uh, were the only two coaches that he had that were not uh, former players for him. Right. Uh, everybody else that he had on his staff played for him at some point, and uh, most of them point guards yeah, or, or two guards. Right. But yeah. The reality is that uh, that was that was the key. I think when times were really downtrodden, that uh, you know that 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 he was able to reach out and not alienate 
some of the veteran players that he inherited. Uh, and uh, listen, Denard was one of his, still is one of his most staunch supporters. Yep. You know, he would buy 500 tickets for the Duke Carolina game at Duke every year, and yeah, it was a good, it was a good sound business decision for him too. But but yeah. let me say, and, and I mean this sincerely, Steve. I've been at this for four decades. Uh, I started in 1985 in the ACC, uh, and that was also the same year I started at ESPN. And uh, but I've been calling college basketball since 1982. So I'm I'm looking uh, at the at the regional level before I got to the national level, uh, and a lot of that time was spent in the SEC and ACC, and I mean I, my timing could not have been any better. You had Valvano yeah. coming to NC State, you had Mike at um, at uh, Duke, you had Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech. Uh, in the SEC, you had proud programs beyond just Kentucky. You know you had. Uh, Dale Brown at LSU. You had Nolan Richardson coming in, Freddie Sutton at Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, it was just uh, the golden age of college basketball in so many ways was during that period in which I came uh, into as a young broadcaster at 29 years of age. And for those of us that have gotten to know and, and created uh, a level of trust with these guys, uh, it's the end of an era. I mean, it's it's a sad a day for guys like me uh, that have 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 always dealt with coaches of different ages, but these were guys yeah. that were already there that were just a little bit older than me. Just, not a lot, but yeah. a little. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike is seventy-five. I'm sixty-five. Um, this this is a time when, especially with college basketball's popularity on the wane, and it has been really for. 10 to 15 years. Uh, the regular season has been moved to the back pages. Uh, yeah. It seems that only the tournament is covered, even by those in in network television that have so much programming of college basketball. Don't talk about it at all during the regular season. It's only like, uh, you know, the two weeks before, you know, who's in, who's not in. You know, that only, the only thing you get is bra- bracketology talk, and then yeah. the, the tournament starts. Uh, college basketball is in uh, the depths of despair with attention, and uh, the ratings have shown that. The coaches were the the ones that were most coveted in terms of the sports popularity. And as these coaches from this generation leave the game, uh, I wonder now where we're going to go, what we're going to see. And I think a lot of them have are leaving the game not because of their health. But because the damned sport has done so much damage to itself, and it's so hard to manage a program now off the court with the decisions that they are impacted by that they have no control over in the NBA. And with that in mind, you know, Mike, Mike was on the receiving end of some good aspects of it. You know, had Jerry Colangelo not reached out to him, you know, after yeah. Chuck Daly was coach. Yeah. And he not have been the the Olympic coach. I think that extended Mike's career. Probably, you know, you can argue five to ten years. Certainly right. helped getting the recruits to win another national championship. But of of that group, all the coaches that you've seen say goodbye. I think the, the mismanagement of college basketball in some some strange ways that Billy Packer was talking about before he stepped aside. He saw the problem coming. 
mm-hmm. and a lot of people wouldn't listen. Um, you know, people blame college basketball for one and done. It's not college basketball. No. It's the no. NBA Players Association yes. that forced that on people. And yes. Mike tried his best to get the NCAA to listen. In the mid-90s, he, was, he went to the meet with the NCAA, and they basically just laughed him out of the room. And his health was impacted by it. He had to take the year away. That was when he had the issues with his back yep. back in 1995. He really wanted to help the game. And then ultimately, he just threw his hands up and said, okay, if you can't beat them, join them. I'll start getting one and dones, and I'll mm-hmm. coach him up that way. And uh, mm-hmm. because he was the USA coach, that helped him tremendously in getting that uh, no top-tier talent to sort of steal the thunder from John Calipari in many ways. Yeah, exactly right, because of that association with USA Basketball, and of course they won the gold in A12 and 16. Right. And it's, in- it's interesting how, for example, the pros gravitate toward Mike but also the USA Basketball Connection helped him with one-and-done recruits. There's no question yeah, about well, that. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not sure. Now, listen, I haven't talked to Mike. We're, we're, we're good friends. I have not talked to him, uh, and I probably won't for quite a while. But, <laughs> uh, you know, he was and is uh, the genuine article, and we do have yep. a, a great deal of trust and a, a strong relationship. The last year that I was involved in ACC basketball, I tweeted about this earlier today. Mike Jaminski and I got to call. For years, Raycom Sports always did the first game between Duke and North Carolina in syndication. And uh, ESPN took it around the rest of the country, but they were blacked out in that area. In recent years, it was the opposite. ESPN got the the, the rights, didn't have to buy the rights from, from Raycom. But we continued doing those games and the tournament through the year 2019. In the final year, I knew this would be my last game. Uh, Mike Shishevsky and uh, and Kevin White and John Jackson worked so closely with with Mike. They knew this would probably be the last time I ever came into the building to call a game at Cameron. And uh, it had been a twenty. I'd, I had a probably fifteen to twenty straight years of doing it. And they took they they got center court seats five rows up mid court for my entire family, my my grandchildren, <laughs> my children. Wow. And uh, so they're, they're, he's a sweetheart, a good man, yeah. uh, and has done a lot of good things for him. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I happily accepted it because I knew that would be, <laughs> be it for me. But I don't think, Steve, I honestly don't think that he's done. I, I think he may coach the Lakers. I think he might yeah. look at uh, the NBA because mm-hmm. his health is still very good. I yeah. mean, very good. Roy had some health issues yeah. in the last few years. Right. Uh, Mike, I think, is um, this will be a victory tour for him. And as I said, I've not talked to him recently. But if someone were to, you know, the Lakers already offered him more money than anyone's ever been offered. Yep. Um, I could see the possibility of him doing, you know, a couple of years uh, in the NBA before it's all said and done. I, re- I really believe that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I started doing Penn State in 82, so we started right around the same time. Yeah and, yeah, and and when they transition to the Big Ten in '93, it's Bob Knight, Lou Henson, yeah. Gene Cady, right? Judd Heathcote, right? I mean, I mean, it's not. And you and I both know it's not that way anymore. I mean, it's, no, it's not. I mean, Tom Izzo's a legend. He's a Hall of yeah, Famer, and he's he also my age. You yeah. know, Tom is is my age, and yeah. uh, I, I don't know. You know how much longer he's going to go. He would be, you know, probably in that next wave of of guys that are sort yes. of carrying the banner for you know the, the the rock star coaches that had 
have had NBA opportunities every year. You know, Jay Wright is uh, a few years younger than me, uh, mm-hmm. but that's that's the next group coming. We've we've seen. I mean, when I when I started doing uh, college basketball on on ESPN in 1985, uh, Terry Holland. Uh, had Dave Odom and Jim Larinaga on his staff. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Think about that. Uh, Steph Greenberg was a GA on on that that staff. Uh, So that's going back a ways, and it just makes you think. uh, I I would be running around airports running into Izzo uh, out on recruiting trips, you know, through the Chicago airport, you know, running from, you know, one flight to another. Yeah. and he's gone on to become a Hall of Famer ever since. That, that, those were the glory years, really, of college yeah. basketball. John Wooden was uh, the most successful, no question mm-hmm. about it. But in terms of the growth and popularity and the strength of college basketball, yep. uh, really the ground floor was was its exposure on cable television. As cable television emerged, so did college basketball. And that's when the tournament really began to be a much bigger deal everywhere. So Wooden was enormously successful, but the competition for Mike to get through it and to get through tournaments with 48, then later 64 and 68 teams versus John Wooden, the wizard, with with 16 and then later 32, I mean, think about that. It it was a little bit harder to, to accomplish really what Mike did uh, in in his era of college basketball, and he's certainly the closest thing to John Wooden that we had in this business with a pulse. My gosh, I enjoy every conversation we have. Thank you so much for your time today, especially on such a busy day, Tim. Appreciate you very much. Thank you, Steve. A pleasure being with you, going down memory lane there. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. You bet. And next we turn to March Madness, all 4 o'clock hour. Adam Zucker, Brad Nessler coming up. As we continue on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance.